from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. They need help. They need their medication. They uh, Mm -hmm. are the sole provider of support for their family and they're not being released. Mm -hmm. And when you see a prosecutor look at that and still say, no, this person is a danger to the community, We call pretrial the front door for mass incarceration. We also know that pretrial detention also drives violence. Why? Because one day in jail means that someone can lose their job, their access to their cars, access to their kids, right? So this report, there's so much in here. And something that was interesting to me is the court itself issues monthly reports, but you have some stats in here that the court doesn't include. I'm Sarah Fenske. In 2019, the Missouri Supreme Court announced new rules for judges in the state court system. Chief Justice Zell Fisher reminded judges that people charged with a crime who were waiting for their day in court were presumed innocent. Unless it was necessary for public safety, he said, those people should not be held on cash bond. Whether or not they were free while waiting for trial shouldn't rest on their ability to pay. And only people who were truly a threat to public safety should be held. In the St. Louis Circuit Court, that led to big changes, but they weren't necessarily what the Missouri Supreme Court had in mind. Now, previously, even low bail requirements were enough to keep many St. Louis defendants behind bars while they waited to go to trial. But when judges moved away from cash bail, they instead moved to allowing no bail at all. And how that's played out is detailed in a new report by the Freedom Community Center. The St. Louis nonprofit started up one year ago with plans to pioneer a new model in restorative justice and keep people charged with crimes out of jail. But its report shows how far St. Louis has to go. And joining us now with more on that is Mike Milton. He is the executive director of the Freedom Community Center. Mike, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. And we're also joined today by Hattie Svoboda-Stell, a policy organizer with the Freedom Community Center. Hattie, welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. So, Mike, this report looks at six months from June to December of 2021. What are some of the stats that jumped out to you from that time? Oh, man, it's so many... So many damning um, stats in this in this report. One of the major ones was how much um, we have switched from unaffordable cash bail to now a, 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 de, a de facto unaffordable cash bail. Fifty seven percent of people uh, of the cases that we have observed um, have received a no bond allowed bond determination, which means that they have no option to get out at all. Um, and especially uh, important considering that um, the, the length of stay within our jails is about 386 days, so almost more than a year of people being held in prison I and mean, held in cages um, without being um, convicted of a crime. And that's now in the majority of these cases. And when you say mm-hmm. you looked at more than 800 cases, were you looking at things that might be under a certain umbrella, like these are the most serious cases, or was this meant to be a broad sample of, of everything within this system? Yeah, this is a broad sample. Um, literally, we were there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from the beginning of the bail arraignment to the end of the bail arraignment, and we took note of every single case that came before the court. Um, and so the, the goal there was to really show um, and have a sample to, to, to show 
um, how the, the legal system has adjusted away from cash bail into an even more um, dangerous step with no bond allowed determination. Mm-hmm. So, Hattie, you were one of the people there witnessing some of these hearings, taking notes as it went. Um, I imagine many people listening to this might be skeptical and they might be thinking, okay, these are people charged with murder. We do need them locked up. When we're talking about the, these 57% of these cases mm-hmm. where there ended up being no chance at anybody making bond, getting out of jail before their trial date, what kind of cases are we talking about? I mean, we're seeing an array of cases. We're seeing anywhere from high misdemeanors to to low felonies being handed no bond allowds, people without criminal histories being mm-hmm. held without bond. Um, and we, even for misdemeanors. Even for misdemeanors. Even for people. And you can see that uh, misdemeanors might be charges that look a certain way, but mm-hmm. that that's still being charged at a, a really low status. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're seeing the prosecutor uh, make arguments on the face of the charge uh, itself, mm-hmm. the face of the charge being why this person should be considered um, a danger to the community rather than looking at the circumstance of mm-hmm. which why someone might be charged with something. Being caught uh, somewhere, uh, wrong place at the wrong time, being under-resourced is not a reason to hold somebody without bond. It's not being a reason to hold somebody uh, as a danger to the community. So the idea being, hey, this person has been charged with first-degree assault, just almost acting as if that means they're guilty of first-degree assault. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We've got to hold exactly. them back. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'll add to that is that one, one of the things that we've seen often in a court watch is how the judges is, um, because of the lack of social support and resources in the community, they're saying, because you don't have a house because mm-hmm. you don't have access to mental health treatment we're going to hold you on no bond allowed mm-hmm. which because jail, you don't have a lawyer because you don't have mm-hmm. a lawyer right that's considered even a factor 100 <laughs> percent, right and so um one we know that's unconstitutional that that um that 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 um fights against rule 33 on one but more than anything it shows us um that the legal system and really st louis broadly has depended on jail to meet some of these social conditions which we know can never meet them in, in fact I, I would argue that they actually encourage violence in our communities exactly so you're saying um in some cases these are people who who don't have lawyers maybe they just have a public defender they've met that day or mm-hmm. you know the system is is moving very rapidly on this there's supposed to be a, a push and pull in this you know prosecutors mm-hmm. are going one way there's supposed to be somebody yep. to counterbalance that the judges are making the call who do you blame for for the fact that we're at 57 percent here. Uh, I blame a lot of people. I really blame the uh, the legal system altogether. But when mm-hmm. we look at statistics where the prosecuting attorney office is, is advocating for no bond recommendations for 86 percent of cases up to 90 percent, that's almost everybody. Um, we see that even even um, in that in that people who share our identities uh, are still depending on incarceration and caging people rather than uh, release, right? And so I, I really blame all of the legal system. The legal system is literally just shifting um, and adjusting to the advocacy that we're doing in the, in the city. Mm-hmm. So we reached out to circuit attorney Kim Gardner. You know, she was elected as a reformer. The mm-hmm. image is that, that this is a progressive prosecutor. And mm-hmm. frankly, she takes some heat from certain parts of the city because of this. This, mm-hmm. this report paints a different picture. So we shared some of the stats from this report um, mm-hmm. As you mentioned there, her office recommended no bond allowed for 86% of the cases mm-hmm. in which court watchers observed. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that prosecutors relied on arresting officers' probable cause statements more than an evidence-based inquiry mm-hmm. when they're making these recommendations. So here's what they said in response. Uh, this is from her spokesperson. Quote, the circuit attorney's office remains dedicated to ensuring the safety of the public while balancing the rights of the accused. That is why we increased the use of summonses for nonviolent offenders that 
bypasses the bail process altogether. We also offer several alternatives to incarceration that have significantly reduced the jail population. The suggestion that the circuit attorney's office does not examine all available evidence in making prosecution decisions flies in the face of the many evidence-related controversies with St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department that have been reported by the press. Hattie, you've been at these hearings. How do you square that statement with, with what you've observed? Um, I mean, I've been at the hearings and I've heard the prosecuting attorney refer to the face of the charge itself being one of the main factors as its troubling reason for why they want to hold somebody without bond. Um, that is not to say that they are not potentially considering the, somebody's criminal history, but that is to say that even in referencing the fact that I'm looking at this charge, this charge that has been made by um, a police officer and our office uh, that is not yet a conviction. The charge itself is what leads me to believe that you are a danger to the community. It's mm -hmm. it's truly just saying we have deemed you unsafe. Mm -hmm. We've deemed you unsafe without even considering what circumstances may lie. Mm -hmm. Mike, how would you like to see how the circuit attorney thinks about these things and handles these things? What would you like to see change from that office specifically? I mean, I, I would like to see a lot of things change from that office. But one of the major things in this context is I would like to see, obviously, more compassionate release. That's really what we're focusing on. We're not just calling out the problem, but we're also creating um, an opportunity for people, to, for us to sponsor people's release, right? And so, and you're talking about your organization yep, here, FCC, There's a Freedom right? Community Recon, Center. Yep. You're there. Tell us how that would work. Absolutely, yeah. So we would be in, in 16B, and we would advocate for individuals who have been accused of serious charges for them to be released to us, um, and we would support them in their release and them returning to court. But also, they would journey through our nonviolence curriculum that identifies. Um, emotional agility, it, it identifies aggression, it, it identifies a lot of things, but also they will be a part of a group therapy session, um, and that, that would happen three days a week, right? And so we're supporting individuals, um, and also we're supporting their return to court, which the last thing I add on that is that that's actually not new. Other cities across the mm -hmm. country are depending on ca compassionate release and working with social service organizations to help ensure people to come back to court, and St. Louis is just really behind the ball. And so you're not just asking that they say, okay, you know, you've been charged with this crime. Yep. You're free to go show up in three months. You're saying we're going to be there. We're yeah. going to do what we can to Absolutely. make sure they show up. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And I know when you founded a, uh, your organization a year ago, the mm -hmm. idea was that you would be able to do that. The circuit attorney's office was on board. Have they mm -hmm. just not been referring as many cases as they could? Yeah, I think the circuit attorney's office have been busy. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, for us, it was never to depend on the prosecutory referrals. For us, we wanted to be responsive to community violence, but also responsive to state violence. And so this is this sponsor, this, the creation of the Sponsor Recog program is really in line with that. How do we continue to, to um, help people escape the cages of our city um, mm -hmm. and escape this cycle of incarceration within our city? Right. So we're talking today to Mike Milton. He is the executive director of the Freedom Community Center. We're also joined by Hattie Svoboda-Stell, a policy organizer with the Freedom Community Center. You can find their new report on our website, stlpr.org. We also have that on Twitter, at STL on Air, if you want to go directly to that link and, and read that for yourself. Now, this kind of this decision-making, um, it has a real uh, cost for people who are trapped in this system. Mm -hmm. And Terion Young is one of those people. He's 25 years old. He spent seven years in prison before being released a month ago. He got a job at a company that manufactures concrete mix. And then he was arrested in St. Louis, and he was accused of unlawful use of weapons. He told our producer, Kayla Drake, that he's innocent. But once he arrived in court, he felt the judge and the prosecutor had already determined his guilt. Mm. Hey, Dad. 
putting so much pressure on me and I'm 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 innocent. Like I'm not I'm not even convicted of this crime. Like they did me so wrong in there. Like and they didn't give me a bond. Like I just did seven years. Like I just got out from a situation and my family it, it, it traumatized my family. He gave no reason. He just said it's not gonna happen. He don't deserve a bond. So the judge denied Tarion bond and sent him to the city justice center. That's the downtown jail. Tarion said he arrived to find horrific conditions. He said he wasn't offered a shower for four days, and he sat in what he called a bullpen with 30 other people. We ain't got nowhere to sleep. We ain't got no, like, we all, like, piled up next to each other. Like, we on a, like, we on a ship or something. Like, we, like, we on a slave ship. Like, that's not for real. Like, it was just terrible, and people people throwing up it was an experience that was just so tragic they not they not really concerned with how our living conditions people up in there they got lice they got you know what i'm saying they got all type of stuff going on with them and they not even concerned and they just got us all piled in together and it's like you want a coffin and you trying to figure out how you're gonna climb out this coffin and you six feet under now, Tarion spent a week in jail without bond. Ultimately, Mission St. Louis was able to sponsor him and secure his release. But Tarion nearly lost his job over those days in jail, which could have been treated as a parole violation and sent him back to prison. Tarion said the system treats people in pretrial detention like they're already convicted of a crime. CJC is the worst jail to be, ever be in. Like, I want everybody to hurt it. Like, CJC is not, not the place to go. They, they'll let you die in there. Like, really. They'll really let you die in there. Ain't nobody convicted of nothing yet, but we all get treated like we nothing. Like, we get treated like we in the zoo. And that is Terry on Young speaking to our producer, Kayla Drake. Mike, he talked about how bad it is in the City Justice Center, and I know mm-hmm. that's an issue we've talked about a lot. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about that issue again. Yeah. But how does it disrupt lives for people who end up, people say, oh, well, he was only in there a week. It's the average person, it's, uh, it's 300 days, but a week can have huge oh, consequences. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, pre-trial, and that's really, that was the beginning of our fight, right? Like, we call pretrial the front door for mass incarceration. We also know that pretrial detention also drives violence. Why? Because one day in jail means that someone can lose their job, their access to their cars, access to their kids, right? Um, and, and these are, for a lot of people, these are supports that are already thin, right? Mm-hmm. And so consider being in jail one day and you lose those things. You come out, you put people in, in devastating situations and they come out and, and they do devastating things. And so mm-hmm. really our, our, our end goal is talking about how do we expand resources to our communities and how do we support people instead of depending on human caging? So this report, there's so much in here. And something that was interesting to me is the court itself issues monthly reports. But you have some stats in here that the court doesn't include. That includes things like racial and demographic data, prosecutors' mm-hmm. bond recommendations. Why was that important to get those stats in there, too? Right. It feels really important that the court uh, responded to the call for transparency. They have access to all of this information and could make it very easily and readily accessible. It's important that we keep these processes as transparent as possible because these are decisions being made in the public's name every single day. And yet, so often, they hide behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Uh, We include this sort of data because we understand that... seeing 80 to 90 percent of the people who move through these uh, bail hearings as being black and brown people, we recognize that 
that is not an accurate depiction of what harm looks like in this city. Mm. We recognize that this system is continuing to rely on uh, its white supremacist and, and racially uh, charged um, beginnings. Mm. And um, part of what we also wanted to see is looking at what our prosecutors are recommending because we we elect them to office. Mm. We need them to be making decisions in our name that actually reflect what our what our communities want. And mm-hmm. when we see people uh, like Terry on, his story is so incredibly common. You see mm-hmm. people in bail hearings day in and day out crying and calling for uh, support. They need help. They need help. They, they need their medication. They uh, mm-hmm. are the sole provider of support for their family and they're not being released. Mm-hmm. And when you see a prosecutor look at that and still say, no, this person is a danger to the community without recognizing that these people are community members. Mm-hmm. When we are putting them in direct danger, mm-hmm. that is not considering the safety of all of our community. Mm-hmm. Mike, had he touched on the racial demographics of this, mm-hmm. um, that piece also really stands out in this report. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it shows what we always what we always knew, which is that uh, the, the legal system is rooted in white supremacy and racial violence. And so um, when we look at these statistics, specifically around um, black people, poor people, and considering that only the city is for 49% black, right? Like, we mm-hmm. see this huge disparities. This is not by mistake, right? The, and this is because it's rooted in these things. And so um, at the, the end of our fight um, isn't just about um, civil rights, but it's about um, how we believe, see, hear, experience black people. So you have a number of recommendations in this report. You know, mm-hmm. I asked you earlier, how do you want to see the circuit attorney change? You have recommendations for how everybody needs to change. You know, the Missouri Supreme Court made such a point of this two years ago, and they got a lot of pushback mm-hmm. for these new rules. Do you think there needs to be somebody who comes in from outside this immediate St. Louis system and says, this is not what we intended mm-hmm. when we said you guys get rid of cash bail? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think that might be pro- that might be necessary, but I think what's more necessary is that we must engage the community um, and we must hear from the community and what actually what they want. Um, the reason why I started FCC is because we refuse to believe survivors when they say that I don't want the legal system. Mm-hmm. And so what we want is a transparent, accountable process where we're listening to community members and actually taking a word for when they say that I don't want my son, my father, my, my mother, my, my daughter to be locked up in these cages. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying, I think we talked about this last time you were here with us, people are calling the police because they need help with an immediate problem. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean they want somebody locked up yeah. for the next year. 100%. And that's something that seems to get lost in that conversation. Yeah. Well, so that kind of leads into one last thing I wanted to make sure to talk to you about today, Uh-oh. Mike, and that is that <laughs> you are in the news right now. I am. Uh, the mayor had uh, nominated you to be on the new detention oversight board, which is mm-hmm. meant to clean up the, the city justice center, make yeah. the conditions there better. The Board of Aldermen rejected your nomination, and mm-hmm. it seems like at heart of that was they didn't like your advocacy work. <laughs> I mean, nobody that I heard yes. brought up anything else that was like, here's why Mike shouldn't yeah. be on this board. Yeah. What do you take from that? Does that suggest St. Louis is, I don't know, it, it feels like almost a reaction to, mm-hmm. no, we want to keep the workhouse open. No, we are exactly. fine with locking people up before, on, before jail. Yeah, yeah. come on, Sarah, you're hitting on the nose. I, I think when I, when I think about... Um, what happened yesterday, I, I, one, I, I feel flattered, right? Um, my voice over the last four years have been to speak truth to power, right? Um, to advocate for those who live in the margins, black, poor people, queer people, um, who, who often is forgotten and not believed. And so to, to, to be questioned that, that I, would, I would somehow, you know, 
take away from the process and make it more accountable is actually something that I was <laughs> aiming to do anyway. So I think that was good. But on the other end, I'm, I'm actually pretty sad at the at the situation that um, this is an enemy to progress that happens within our city. We cannot keep moving forward because our city and our city leadership and what was really disheartening was it, it was mainly the Black Caucus mm-hmm. um, believes and um, holds the status quo. Right. Mm-hmm. When we think about that, the CJC, the 90 to 95 percent of the people in CJC are all black men. You take the two black men off of the board, right? Yeah. Shows a commitment towards the status quo. Shows a commitment towards not wanting transformative change in our community. We should say it wasn't just you. Uh, it was the Reverend Daryl Gray the where Reverend they had Darryl to Gray withdraw too. his nomination. Yeah. He's also been outspoken yeah. on these issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but also who went past was a white, correct, a white former correctional officer, right? And so um, I think I think it, it saddens me because this is my city. I was raised in North St. Louis all of my life, right? I've seen people get snatched off of the streets by policing in jails and prisons and human caging. Uh, and so to, to see that we, we have an opportunity where we can really transform the way um, that we deal with violence. And yet we, and, and um, it, the last thing I add on that is that um, what's true is that in, in order for real meaningful change to happen, we have to be able to see the ugly truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to be able to see the things that we don't want to see and, and deal with it and be accountable for it. And what's happening in our jails right now is absolutely devastating and ugly. When we hear people say that I've had a colostomy bag and I haven't had my colostomy bag changed for three months mm-hmm. or there's feces on the wall or I haven't been changed or they're bare macing the whole floor. Like my team goes into the jail uh, and interview people and they come back coughing and scratching their eyes because they mace the whole floor and the mace fill the visiting booths. Right? This is co- a common occurrence. It's a mess in there. And so I think that what was the fear was, the fear was that I, was, I would expose those things um, and, and really that's an enemy to progress. So, as you say, there are some ugly truths we need to look at. Those are there in this report. I want to encourage people to read this for themselves. Again, we have that at STL on air as well as uh, stlonair.show. Mike Milton, Executive Director of the Freedom Community Center. Thank you for thank joining us. Thank you so us. much. And Hattie Svoboda Stell, Policy Organizer with the Freedom Community Center. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.